they're going to be topical. Um, and so there'll be kind of a conglomeration of, of the different Proverbs uh, put in, which makes a little bit more sense with how we think. But I just want to remind you of the beauty of the Proverbs is that each proverb has more than one thought, more than one idea in it, and it was intended to be read. The son was intended to read it over and over and be reminded over and over. These are the truths. These are the things that are important. These are the things you're to be aware of. These are the things that you're supposed to uh, do and not do. So for our context, as we come into chapter 10, um, we have uh, looked at what it means to be uh, discipline. We've looked at the son that is wise and the son that is a fool, and we've had them up side by side a couple weeks ago. Uh, two weeks ago, we looked at surety, the sluggard and the sower of discord, as the father puts up the type of son, and it's like, I, don't be this, don't be this, don't be that. Chapter 7 to 9 deal more with sexual ethics, and you can see the prominence that it takes in the Proverbs, because the father knows his son is a boy. And he knows that he is prone to all sorts of dangers that are involved with that. So I'm not skipping over him because it's not important. I'm, I'm skipping over him because we've, we've talked about it several times already. Uh, but I encourage you to continue to read. We are in Proverbs 10. And this morning we're going to just do the first 16 verses. If you are able, please stand for the reading of God's word. Proverbs 10, 1 to 16, the Proverbs of Solomon. A wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish son is a sorrow to his mother. Treasures gained by wickedness do not profit, but righteousness delivers from death. The Lord does not let the righteous go hungry, but he thwarts the craving of the wicked. A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. He who gathers in summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps in harvest is a son who brings shame. Blessings are on the head of the righteous, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. The memory of the righteous is a blessing, but the name of the wicked will rot. The wise of heart will receive commandments, but a babbling fool will come to ruin. Whoever walks in integrity walks securely, but he who makes his ways crooked will be found out. Whoever winks the eye causes trouble, and a babbling fool will come to ruin. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. On the lips of him who has understanding, wisdom is found, but a rod is for the back of him who lacks sense. The wise lay up knowledge, but the mouth of a fool brings ruin near. A rich man's wealth is his strong city. The poverty of the poor is their ruin. The wage of the righteous leads to life, the gain of the wicked to sin. Grass withers, the flower fades. The word of our God will stand forever. You may be seated. I've mentioned this before, but it deserves to be <laughs> mentioned again in... Um, the Gospel Transformation Study, I think it was 38 weeks, uh, Gospel Transformation Study, there are a couple exercises that I took copies of and I use them on occasion, especially in counseling people. They have a, they have a chapter on anger that is wonderful, profound. Then they had an exercise, it was homework. And the, the idea behind this exercise was to convince us 
that we all need the gospel. It was to convince us that no matter how good we think we are or how good everybody else thinks we are, we need the gospel. And so the exercise was called the tongue exercise. And, and so the exercise was quite simple. It said, for one week, I will not gossip, slander, cut down, uh, be mean <laughs> with my mouth. Uh, I, I, won't, I won't say things that are sinful, but instead I will use my mouth to build up others, uh, benefit others, bless others, tell the truth. Uh, so it was kind of this two-sided. I'm not going to use my mouth in this way, but I will use it in this way. And in a sense, uh, when, you, when you watch some of the lectures and the videos, uh, one, of the, one of the teachers says, it doesn't, it's not fair for you just not to talk to anybody. That's only half of it. <laughs> and that wasn't, that wasn't the intent. Like, I, I kept this side. Uh, I didn't say anything mean because I didn't talk to anybody. It's like, that's, that's, that's not enough. It's not enough to not do bad. You are to do good. And so we see in the Proverbs, we see the same sense that, that the life of the son, the life of the child of God is intended not just to be safe from their own harm, but to bless others. Now again, Christian families, Christian parents, uh, we, we, have, uh, we have given to us a great purpose for having children. And when we raise our children, it is not just, hey, we don't want you to be a burden to other people. We, we want you to get a job, take care of yourself, and take care of your family. Uh, it, it goes beyond that. We are to bless the world. We are the light. We are the salt. And if the light loses its light, it's good for nothing. If salt loses its light, it's good for nothing. Um, and, and so uh, we are to make a difference. And in a sense, you see all of this laid out here um, for the sun. And, and you know, the... Uh, I would say with that tongue exercise, uh, that Switzerland does not exist. Now, you know what I mean by Switzerland? First time I heard that term used is, is I think it was when we were trying to put together the wedding. Uh, and it may not have been me, it may have been somebody else. I was helping someone else, and like I talked to the father of the bride, and he's like, I'm Switzerland. I'm like, what does that mean? He goes, I'm neutral. Whenever there's an argument between the bride and the bride's mother, I'm Switzerland. I, I have claimed to be neutral in this war. Now, I want to tell you, Christian, we are not Switzerland. We are not called to be Switzerland. We are not called to be neutral in the battles that rage in our world, in our lives, in our families. We are not called to be that. Our tongue is not to be Switzerland. It is to be given to the use of God for his purposes. And the same thing will happen with wealth. What does this mean? It means that uh, your actions, your words, they're either going to help or hurt yourself and others. Who you are doesn't just affect you. This uh, proverb is a little bit distinct from the others in the sense that the mother is brought into it in the very first verse. So that very first verse, it's almost like this title of this section of Proverbs, saying these are the Proverbs now of Solomon. A wise son makes a father glad. A foolish son is a sorrow to his mother. In effect, Solomon is putting it out there, and he is instructing parents as well as children. He is telling parents that you will be blessed to the extent that you discipline your child. You will be blessed to the extent that you teach God's word and precepts to your child. It is good for you. There is benefit for you, Father, 
for you, mother. You want to delight in the children that God has entrusted to you? Then follow my word. Listen to my instruction. Correct them. Discipline them. I, I remember distinctly at 16, no, it wasn't 16, 15, I lived in the basement of our house in Atlanta. And so it was a basement, the main floor, and then all the other bedrooms were on the top floor. And I finally, for the first time in my life, one of five kids got my own room, but it meant that I had a concrete floor and an unfinished room in the basement. And I absolutely loved it. I had a weight set right next to me, got stuck under the bench press once. In my mind, as I'd worked up, the, I, I think I can do this, I think I can do this, you know. Uh, but it was just, it was like my space. But I never forget, it was a Wednesday night, Dad had a long session meeting. And I was, I was gone, I was dead asleep. And he opens that basement door and he just yells, Mark! And I know that it doesn't matter that I'm asleep. I know that he knows that I'm asleep. Uh, I know that, uh, that, that there's no way to finish this without answering him. And he keeps yelling, Mark. And I'm like, sir, go get the trash can. It was about 11, 12 o'clock at night, school night. Go get the trash can. Yes, sir. I went and got the trash can. You know why I got the trash can? Because Dad had told me to get the trash can on Wednesday for the last few weeks. And this last Wednesday, when I went off to school, he looked at me and he said, Son, you're going to get the trash can, and if you don't get the trash can when it's brought in, when, it, when it's clean, um, I'm going to wake you up. So I suggest you remember to bring the trash can when you walk right past it as the bus drops you off. Just go get the trash can. You know what? At that point, I wasn't happy with my father, but I also wasn't angry. But you know what happened next Wednesday? You guessed it. I got the trash can. <laughs> right as I got off the bus, I got the trash can. It was amazing. It was a miracle. Now, I had the exact same thing happen as I was raising my kids. I mean the exact same thing. I would tell my boys sometimes on a Saturday, hey, you know, the yard needs to be raked. And they're in the middle of trying to get to the next level in Halo. And I'm like, uh, I suggest, boys, you stop this right now and do it. But I'm going to give you the freedom. You're young men. I'm going to give you the freedom. I'm going to be back at 5, and this needs to be done by 5. And, you know, a couple times, I'd, <laughs> one time I came in at 5, and, and sure enough, one boy had done his chores, and the other boy hadn't done his chores. And one boy had done his chores. I'm like, hey, where do you want to go? I want to go to In-N-Out Burger. Great. Hop in. Uh, sorry, son. You're going to finish your chores while we go out and get burgers. I learned it from my dad. It affected me. I wanted my boys to be men that could manage their schedule, men that I could count on to do a job. I love my boys too much to let them be slothful. But you know what else? It benefited me. It did. It made me enjoy my relationship with my sons. And even to this day, it makes me enjoy my relationship with my boys. We have this commonality that we were pursuing the same goals of maturity for them. And so in that same sense, that's what the father is doing here. He is pushing the son 
to maturity. And he is telling his son that he and his wife, he and his mother, long to enjoy them. To have a wonderful, a great relationship with them. That they would be pleasing to them. That they wouldn't bring shame to them. That they would make them glad. And so he offers this instruction. Primarily this morning, he's talking about wealth, money, your work. He's talking about your tongue. But the last two verses kind of tie in this section with the idea of where are you secure. So the sermon and sentence this morning is that like all of God's gifts... All that God has entrusted to us, wealth communication should provide blessings upon ourselves and upon others. Wealth and communication. The father is saying, son, the way you deal with your wealth, the way you deal with your speech, the way you look to God or other things for security, it is going to show the inner core of your being to other people. And that's what's going to have to change it. The, what, what you, as he said earlier, the wellspring of life, what you hold in your heart, what, you, what is most important, it will show in the way that you deal with your money. You know, if we were to take, for instance, uh, had a deacon's meeting and said, by the way, uh, all you members of Three Rivers, we need your, uh, your bank account statements for the last 12 months. We'd like to go over them and, uh, and look and see how you spent your money and where it's all gone. I suspect we'd have a church split. <laughs> Probably rightly so. I don't think that's necessarily our business. But it would show things, wouldn't it? You know, when a kid is a certain age, when they start to realize that they're not allowed to ask about money. But I love that age right before they figure it out. And you go to dinner with somebody and you're like, hello, Mr. So-and-so, how much was your car? You're, like, you're not supposed to ask that. How much did your house cost? Right? We, 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 it's, it's like this taboo. We're not supposed to know those things, share those things. How much money do you make, Mr. So-and-so? Uh, you know, and what do you do as a parent when that happens? You're like, I'm, I'm sorry. I, he, he, he doesn't know that those, those questions are the worst questions that anybody could ask anybody, right? Um, we protect it, but we know that it also shows something, doesn't it? It shows what has priority. Um, and so what the father is saying, how you talk, how you spend, um, it, it, it is in a sense saying your behavior reflects your theology. What you do, what you say, it's the message of James, isn't it? Your, your faith shows out in how you operate. Your words, your wealth reflects on what's inside. And so as he's done before, he sets up this contrast between the wise son and the foolish son. So we're going to look at it in these three areas. The, the way wisdom affects the, way, the use of wealth, uh, speech, and security. So first, in verses 2 to 5, uh, and it's interesting, again, the way this is set up. We've, we've talked about chiasm, and uh, a lot of the way that Hebrew teaching would go is your, your main point would be at the beginning and then at the end. And so uh, when, it, when it ends with... The wage of righteous leads to life, the gain of the wicked to sin. Uh, that's just like verse 2, right? Treasures gained by wickedness do not profit, but righteous delivers from death. So that, that's, his, that's his main point, son. The, the righteous life, the obedient life, the life of discipline and your heart turned towards God is going to produce life, eternal life, but also in this life what is good and right. So first of all, wisdom and wealth. The question, how should wisdom affect 
the relationship I have with money, with work, and with wealth. So um, the first two verses, verse 2 and 3, they deal with um, how does this uh, righteous use of wealth affect me, verses 2 and 3. So the righteous son, uh, the righteous son in verse 2, it delivers him from death. His work, he is also not hungry. The wicked son, uh, it's interesting, the treasures don't end up profiting him. In fact, his hunger uh, appears to need treasures and wealth. It is never satiated. Even though he gets it through unethical means, instead he hungers more and more and more. So the righteous son... His wealth is used to promote life. His life is good before, because of it. We'll look in a minute. The life of others is good. The, the wicked son, no matter what he acquires, said, son, you've seen this. No matter what that person acquires, they want more and more. Um, he doesn't own anything in a sense. It all owns him. How is wisdom and wealth affected towards others? We call this the practical theology, work, family, community, school, government, church. The righteous son, verses 4 and 5. The righteous son, uh, he works diligently, and he makes a point of it, at the right time for a harvest that blesses those around him. He doesn't procrastinate. One of those times with my boys, we'd given them a week. And we had a ton of leaves in St. Louis. And we had the youth pastor stand watching our kids which meant it was going to be just a lot of fun for him. And I gave him chores. I'm like, now, we're getting back on Friday. This needs to be done. This needs to be done. And I never forget, my wife and I are pulling in, and there's one boy out there raking just an enormous amount of leaves. And he just looks up with this, this, this fear and shock and dread. And, and I knew that feeling. I knew it. He's like, oh, no, it happened again. <laughs> he was just like, well, I, I meant to. I was going to. Or the wind came. I mean, just all oh, these. Uh, and and it, it was one of those moments as a father, just like I felt the pain. I could see it on his face. And there was no further discipline needed. Just a moment. You should have done it when you had the time. You should have arranged for your work first. Um, and that's what the diligent son does. Towards others, he works diligently for a harvest that just does not bless him but bless others. The wicked son, he sleeps during the work hours. He brings shame and he brings poverty. Diligent pays off versus sloth. How will you use your wealth, your time, and your money? The son that is righteous benefits both himself and others. Now, I, I want to just reiterate this. We've talked about it before, but specifically, Solomon is passing on uh, more wealth that had been gathered than any other time before, historically. And still, he instructs his son to work. Work is not a result of the fall, right? Adam and Eve were put in a beautiful place, and they were given tasks. We tend to think in our society that, that work is part of the fall, but work that accomplishes, that produces things. Uh, man and woman were to subdue the earth. They were to go forth and civilize and cultivate. 
It was part of God's design in them. It's one reason why some people find their value in their work. Some people struggle to retire because part of God's image in us is work. Our God works. On six days, our God built all of this. He delighted in it. He saw it was good. It gave him great satisfaction. We need to make sure and pass that on to our kids because we need to believe it ourselves. When God provides work, it's not part of the fall. It's not something we want to have to get through as soon as we can in order to sleep, fold the hands, and, and store up for ourselves bigger barns. It's not the enemy. Um, and so I always say there's no retirement in God's kingdom. He finds things for his people to do. The second part is a longer part, wisdom and speech, verses 6 to 14. Do you remember the bumper stickers that went around? I don't know if they're still out there or not that say, wag more, bark less. You seen those? One of my favorites. Wag more, bark less. All right, you know what that means, right? When I came in the house and I could just hear that little thump, 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 thump. It was my dog. He was too lazy to get off his bed or move where his tail wouldn't hit. But he just had just enough energy in him to let me know that he was glad I was home and that he loved me, right? Wag more, bark less. For some reason, we have now had three different people own the house behind us. And I think part of the contract is, do you have a yippee dog? Yes, we have a yippee dog. Okay, we'll sell you the house. <laughs> Every one of them. Every time, that stupid little dog hates me. I'm like, what are you, I, I'm right here, we've been here, can I give you some bacon, can I do something? Wag more, bark less. He's talking about the tongue. When we say that, we say, you know, don't be the dog that barks and annoys people. Be the dog that wags its tail. Well, of course, for Christians, it's much deeper than that. We're not just going to say fluffy words. We're not going to just say, it's common in the South, y'all be sweet now. Just say nice things. No, we're going to be honest. We're going to be truthful. We're going to use our mouths in an appropriate way. And so, again, uh, towards the self in this first part of it, verses 6 to 9, the righteous son. Look how he's explained. The righteous son says he has blessings on his head. It's like a crown. He becomes recognized. He is one worthy of respect and admiration. The memory of him brings delight. The mention of their name. He says, this happens, son, to you when you use your tongue and your speech wisely, honestly, thoughtfully. Think before you say. They listen to his words, his way of life, laid out again by the words, by the commitments he makes, by the promises he makes, by the statement he makes. It is secure. The wicked son, his mouth always tries to conceal violence. His name, it says, is forgotten or used as a byword. His mouth leads to personal ruin. He ends up having to swear, to promise, to consign, to swear by others in order to be trusted. Wise, righteous speech blesses the Son. Uh, toward others, 10 to 14. Whereas the Lord regards the righteous with prosperity through benedictions of the grateful and prayerful community, so he recompenses violent, oppressive people with the violence of others, writes Luther. The righteous son, what is his mouth known as? 
a fountain of life. Isn't that wonderful? Your mouth is a fountain of life. Maybe you see that in, in your own children. Maybe you're old enough to see that and to know the wonder and the benefit of words properly and aptly spoken or written. We know the other type, don't we? Sometimes I fear being the other type. We talk about it in this way. We say when so-and-so enters the room, they suck the air out of the room. They suck life out of the community or the conversation. The righteous son to the community, his words are a fountain of life. They're benedictions, kind words, truthful words over others, bringing life it says it's loving words that cover all offenses. Now, he, he doesn't, in a sense, uh, share what is unhelpful. He doesn't cover things and say they don't matter. He forgives when forgiveness is needed, and he reminds people of it over and over again. I have a hard time expecting that. I have a hard time receiving it. I'm just telling you. When I wrong someone, it, it, you know, they... they sorry am I okay are we forgiven are we, are we all right um, kind words in the midst of an offense the son brings a life the mention of his name brings nods and smiles not so the wicked son our text says he winks the eye and that's just in a sense saying there are gestures he does behind your back that are secretive and malicious he babbles uh, he goes on and on. He is one that is quick to talk or to talk over in the midst of conversation, in the midst of correction. One to quickly jump to prove himself right. Our text tells us that he'll be caught. He stirs up strife and he will even suffer physical pain as a result. He said his back will be given to rods so he might be beaten. Um, others will have to step in and cover the offense he is committed, and ultimately his words will bring ruin. The application question for you is, what does your speech do for good? Christian, what does your speech do for good? What does your speech point to that is most important? Lastly, he weaves these two concepts together, verses 15 to 16, to talk about security. Now, it's important when we interpret Scripture, one of the first things we do is if something is confusing, we use Scripture to interpret Scripture. And we use Scripture from the same genre, the same author, the same book, if we can understand it. And so uh, there is uh, almost a 50-50 split in Proverbs uh, concerning money. Almost a 50-50 split. The number of verses that say, uh, beware of uh, don't trust money is about the same as the number of proverbs that say prize wealth seek it work hard uh and and so what what what's solomon saying work worth and wealth and money it, it's necessary it's not wrong in itself just don't let it control you uh, wisdom and security in verses 15 and 16. Financial and moral security. What does he say? The rich man's wealth is his strong city. 
Now, when he's speaking of wealth, he's not just talking about material goods. In Proverbs 18, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs to it and is safe. A rich man's wealth is his strong city and like a high wall in his imagination. But before destruction, a man's heart is haughty. Humility comes before honor. The wise son becomes a wise man. His wisdom becomes the strong tower. His fear of God above all things becomes his security. This is both said in the confession this morning. He doesn't look to wealth, position, or honor, or other people for his security. He looks to his God for his security. And the foolish son, his wickedness leads to sin and death. All right, what does this mean for us in light of the gospel? First of all, um, Jesus is the righteous son. Whenever the Proverbs is, is painting the picture of the righteous son, the Proverbs are painting the picture of our Lord and Savior Jesus. He is the righteous son. All of his words are right and true. The way he works, how he spends his time, how he is generous, all of that is right and true. And everything that is promised here or pointed to here that the righteous son earns, our Savior has earned. But here's what's even greater. Every curse that is laid upon the wicked son, beaten, cursed, left alone. Jesus took that for us. He's the wise son. He is, again, the one we look to, uh, not just as an example, but we look to actually to empower us. He's the righteous son. He is the one that brings gladness to his father and joy to his people. And so the beauty of this for the Christian is we read through this and we are open to say, here's where I've acted in foolishness. Here are the ways I have spent in foolishness. Here's why I'd be embarrassed to show someone my checkbook. Here's why I'd be embarrassed to show someone my calendar. Uh, oh Lord, wash, cleanse, forgive, and please redirect my life. The gifts you've entrusted to me, these are just two of them. Our wealth, our time, our job, our ability to talk, our speech, our communication. Oh Father, these two you have given to me Help me use them for your glory. Show me, teach me, that I might rest in you, that I might bless those around me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we all here want to be, uh, in the eyes of our parents, and especially in your eyes, we want to be the righteous son. We long to have, when someone in a crowd mentions our name, to not worry about who's in that crowd what will so-and-so say? Will they remember what I've done to them? Will they remember what I've said to them? Father, we know that because of the work of Christ, when our name comes up before you, we are righteous because of Christ. All that his words and his actions and his work has earned, we have received by grace through faith. 
Lord, we pray that we take this gift not lightly. We take this gift and, and don't think in our hearts, well, that doesn't matter what I do then because Christ has covered. No, but Father, as acts of gratitude, we seek opportunities laid out before us. Father, we need our hearts humbled over and over that we might believe, that we might receive correction. But also, Father, we need the humility to rest in Christ. We don't walk out here promising to be better next week and then we think you'll be happy with us. We walk out of here saying he is happy with us because of the work of Christ. Now help me see that work flesh out in my very life. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.